Amen. Interesting passage here in Luke chapter 10. We're going to be looking at the love and the mercy of God. God's love is openly displayed for us through Calvary. If you've watched football in the 1980s, you remember everybody would stand up behind the, the, the goalposts and it would have a John 3.16, for God so loved the world, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him would not perish, but what? Have everlasting life. The love of God is so mighty and so powerful. Many of us, we, we, we try to think about other things, but it is the love of God. It is the love of God that is more, uh, more higher and more deeper and more wider than anything we can comprehend. That's what the book of Romans tells us. Is higher. It, there is nothing that can separate the believer from the love of God. And I want you to know as you listen to this that God loves you right where you are. The most important belief in the Bible is that God loves you. God loves you, and he does. He openly declares that he loves you. He loves you not because of where you've done, where you've been, or what you've done, but he loves you because he made you, because you belong to him. The story of the gospel is about Jesus coming to redeem and rescue mankind, and some of us need rescued. You know, the most important part about the rescue is to lift up your hand and say, me, Rescue me, Lord. Rescue me. How many times people get passed by because they don't lift up their hands? But I want you to know that the Lord is patient. He's long-suffering. Amen? And he'll wait on us. He'll wait on us sometimes. The, the, the thing about this scripture here, we're going to look at the love of God and, and how it applies. But the Lord Jesus, he, he said something really awesome uh, in, in the book of 1 John. He said that, you know, we love him because he first loved us. Nobody loves God just in and of themselves. It's only because you realize his love for you. It is that God made the first step through Jesus Christ to us. We didn't make the first step to him. We didn't say, hey, I think I'm just going to start, you know, being a godly person. We, we didn't do that. It is we love him because he first loved us. And if we're going to grow in our walk with God or if we're going to get into a walk with God, we have to come to this realization. God loves us. God is merciful and he loves us. And so Jesus is, is going through this story as a lawyer asking questions about uh, what he has to do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus said, well, what do you think? Which is always a good, you know, you can fill somebody out by asking them questions, right? Sometimes we need to be more about uh, listening than talking sometimes. But Jesus asked the lawyer, well, what do you think you need to do? And, and the guy says in verse number 27, and, and he answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. And he said unto him, Thou hast answered right, this do, and thou shalt live. Now, the important part about this is that he's saying, you're supposed to love God with all that you are. But you're also not supposed to stop there because if you properly love God, you won't be able to contain it. As you begin to love God, love will swell up within you and it will cause you to love others. It won't be because you are compelled by legal laws. It will be because you're compelled by that which is within you. See, the Spirit of God, as it works within us, it will propel us to do what God sets us to do. 
and, and, and the amazing thing is, is that we, we understand now that Jesus loved us first. So that means that his love for us was the initiator in the same way we're supposed to initiate love to our neighbor. There's a very, there's a very um, beautiful parallel that we're about to see in the story of the, great, of the Good Samaritan. You remember the story of the Good Samaritan? He, he was down and out. He was down and out. But there's a, there's a striking, striking parallel between this guy and the Lord Jesus' love for us. You may not realize it, but the Lord, the Lord will not pass you by. The Lord will not pass you by. People will pass you by. Religion will pass you by. But the Lord Jesus will stop where you're at. He will find a way to get the word to you because he loves you and he's not willing that any should perish, but he wants you to come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. He has made provision through the blood of his cross to atone for our sins. All the sin that we've ever committed or ever could commit, he made a way by nailing those things to the cross and purchasing them with his own blood. And he wants us to know and understand how much he loves us by seeing his love displayed through Calvary's cross. What a beautiful illustration here, the Good Samaritan. The, the, the natural question, the guy trying to get out of it like any religious folk does. If somebody says, well, well how much do I got to do? Well, how much do I got to go? Where all do I got to go? You know, let me see the details before I get into this. Sometimes we want to see the fine print before we just give ourselves to the Lord. Well, who exactly is my neighbor? That's what he says. Oh, okay. So you want me to receive love, and you want me to receive it so much that I can't contain it anymore, that I got to give it away? You want me to take so much in that I can't hold it anymore, I've got to just lavish love on others but what if they don't deserve it, Lord? We didn't. We didn't, but he still loved us. See, this, this is where we begin to see this opening up. Sometimes we don't want to love folks because they treated us wrong. They forgot about us. You won't forget about me no more. I'm not ever going to let you say another word like that to me. I will shut you off and shut the door on your face. I'm just waiting for the opportunity. And we just wait for that opportunity. And when it comes, we slam that door and our flesh feels so good. But we're in such opposition to the Spirit of God when we do it. Because Jesus didn't shut the door on us. When, when, when we turned our back on him, when we turned our back on him and we forgot about him and we, we, we did things that we know grieves the Holy Spirit and we know we did things that we, when we walk away, still yet the Lord does not shut the door on us. His mercy endures forever. His mercies are new every morning. And he invites you to partake in those new mercies today. Don't let yesterday be the best day you ever had. Today can be a new day in Jesus' name. His mercies are new for us today. He is good. 
And he has made provision for us through Calvary's cross. Now let's look at this passage here as Jesus is trying to explain to this lawyer, this religious folk. And look, don't get religious, right? Godly religion is good, but there's a religiosity that is, it, it, it is causing the church to be restricted. The church is shutting the door to the Holy Spirit because we're so religious. Did you ever play with fire? <laughs> you understand the fire is in control. And sometimes we have to come to that realization that our religion cannot, it cannot cramp and cannot stifle what the Lord is trying to do in our lives. And he may just get you to forgive somebody that hurt you deeply. Because he's willing to forgive you when you hurt him deeply. He wants you to see that. He wants you to see that. Now this passage, it, and the guy says in verse 29, but he willing to justify himself said unto Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And I love the way that the Bible says it because it says it like a religious folk, right? And who is my neighbor? You can, hear, you can see the hand on the hip and you can see the head bobbing. And who is my neighbor? Don't, don't tell me sister so-and-so because you know what she did to me and I'm never going to let that go. So, I, you know, this neighbor that I don't know, that's okay to love on them because I don't know them. But don't be telling me to love that one person over there because whenever I went through the valley of the shadow of death, they didn't even lift up a finger. They didn't, they didn't tell me they were sorry for me. They didn't help me out. In fact, I heard they talked bad about me. Those things hurt. You know, when, you, when you've been exposed emotionally and, and, and somebody doesn't do what you think they should do, it, the, the wound hurts twice as much. But we're still called to love because God loves us. Do you know that he's never going to ask you to do something that he doesn't do already? Never. Never will he ask you to do what he won't do. Love your enemies. What you think the cross was. It was a reconciling of the enemies to God. He reconciled the world to himself through Christ. That's the gospel. But so this guy, I can just see the hand on the hip, the head bobbing, and he says, and who is my neighbor? Well, what he's about to get is the story of the Good Samaritan. Jesus turns to him. He says in verse number 30, now I'm going to read through this, and then I'm going to come back, and I'm going to pull some things out. Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from, Jer from Jerusalem to Jericho, fell among the thieves, which stripped him of his raiment, and wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came a certain priest that way. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise, a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion on him. And he went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine. And he set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the morrow when he departed, he took out two pence and gave them to the host and said unto him, Take care of him. 
And whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come, I will repay thee. Now we're going to stop right there and come back into this passage. Jesus is giving an illustration about somebody who's down and out. But I want you to see, before this person went down and out, they started going the wrong way. You see, nobody, nobody is going to get down and out as they're moving towards Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the capital city. This is the city of God. This is the city where God said, this is where my name will be. This is where the temple of God is, where the ark of God is, where the high priest sacrifices unto God. This is where the epicenter of faith is at. It is in Jerusalem, but notice this guy goes from Jerusalem to Jericho. So to begin with, he's going the wrong direction. he's, He's taking a detour from going closer to God. He's going the wrong way. He's going away from God. And sometimes in our lives, situations and circumstances cause us to go away from Jerusalem. And and understand what I mean by Jerusalem. I'm talking about the cross. That's where Jesus was crucified. That's where his love was displayed for us. That's where the blood of Jesus Christ was shed. This is where Jesus is coming again when he comes back on the second coming. This is the city of God. This is it. We don't belong anywhere else but the altar. We don't belong anywhere else but the house of God. We don't belong anywhere else but in Jerusalem spiritually. Do you understand? It is in God's presence, in God's house. It is as close as we can get to God, moving closer to God. When when there are things that come into our lives that take us away from Jerusalem, we get them out. We're supposed to be ever growing nearer to God, right? Draw near to God and he will draw near unto you. Hallelujah, right? James chapter 4. We draw near to God. God will come and draw near to us, but this guy's going the wrong way. You want to be like, hey, hey man, you're going the wrong way. You're supposed to turn around and go to the Lord's house. But what happens is he, he has a little bit of spiritual regression. Now, you probably don't know what that's like, but I can tell you in my life, I've had it. Spiritual regression is when the fire starts to drown out. Spiritual regression is when you go from worshiping like this to like this. And then you go from every Sunday, every Wednesday to once a month to once a year. Spiritual regression, it, it comes on slowly, but it takes you far. It takes you, it takes you away from God in ways that you never wanted to go and never meant to. And never meant to. No, nobody, ever, nobody ever intends to regress spiritually. Nobody ever intends to regress spiritually, but if we're going to be honest with ourselves and allow the Lord to search our hearts today, we need to be honest and, 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 and honestly say, Lord, are there places in my life where I have regressed spiritually instead of moving closer to you, instead of progress, instead of moving, growing stronger in the Lord, growing stronger in the Holy Ghost, are there areas of my life where I have regressed, Lord? One of the greatest qualities of the disciples, whenever Jesus uh, was at the Last Supper with the disciples, he had all of them take a piece of bread and dip it in the cup. But he said, one of you is going to betray me. And every single one of the disciples said, Lord, is it I? One of the greatest qualities of a man or woman of God is humility. If you're, willing to, if you're willing to say, Lord, is it me? Search my heart. I'm willing to be exposed as a fraud if that's what it takes to get me right, Lord. 
And if you're willing to be exposed like that and willing to have the Holy Ghost search you, he will. And he will search you through and through in ways that you kind of keep hidden. We keep things behind certain doors, right? You know what I mean, the Sunday clothes. Not only the clothes, but the clothes that you wear. Oh, it's Sunday. You know, I grew up like that. We would go to church, and it was World War III. Our van was rocking, and it wasn't because of the music. It was war. But when we pulled in the church parking lot, we got the threat of all threats. <laughs> Dry it up, hush up, and smile. We're not getting out of the van till everybody is well. <laughs> Walked into church. How y'all doing? Blessed and highly favored. We are the head and not the tail. Our home is a home of peace. We had the Sunday clothes on. But if we're honest, if we're honest, and that's what it takes to draw nearer to God is honesty and humility and say, Lord, is there, are, there, are there areas in my life where I've regressed, where I've drawn away, where I've gone to Jericho instead of Jerusalem? Lord, you're, you, you know what? I want to be as close to you as I possibly can. I want to see the temple of praise. I want to see the Ark of the Covenant. I want to see the incense rise. I want to see the beauty and the majesty of the Holy of Holies, God. Let me not get busy in Jericho. Let me tarry in Jerusalem. Some of us get too busy in Jericho to tarry in Jerusalem. Now, here's the scary thing is that if, if you ever begin to spiritually regress, there is often a, a time in our lives where we might even digress. The, to, to digress is when you actually depart. That's when you actually go a different road. If you regress for too long, you're likely to digress. You're likely to split. Likely to go down a road you never wanted to go down. If you remember the story of the prodigal son, he went and ended up, right? He went to go spend his money, spend his inheritance, just have a good time. How many, we all like to have a good time. He went to go have a good time. But he ended up in a pig pen. And the Bible says he came to himself in the pig pen. He realized, you know what? This is not where I'm supposed to be. And it takes humility to say, this is not where I'm supposed to be. This is not who I am. This is not who, you know, our family is. I'm supposed to be away from this place and look at me. I'm right here. And I don't think, do you? I don't think that he intended to go to the pig pen when he started out. But when you begin to go the wrong direction, you sometimes go and do things you never intended on doing. The, the, the road away from God is slippery. It's like if you try to walk on rocks in a river. You know, they got moss on them and the current's going. It's, it's not sure footing. When you begin to go away from God, you, just, you know, that one step wrong and you're going to slip. And that's the way it happens to us spiritually. And this guy, he goes from Jerusalem to Jericho. Didn't start out just to, to, to be completely wrong, but sometimes we end up doing things and going places we never meant. Look what happens next. Fell among the thieves. He fell among thieves. You know, whenever we begin to regress spiritually, it's because the, the world begins to look enticing to us. I want you to know that if God's doing a work, the world will never be enticing. 
The world and God are forever going to be in opposition until the millennial reign. Until the wolf and the lamb lie together, until, the, the, until we see a reconciliation of the whole kingdom, the world will always be an enemy to God Almighty. And whenever we're, whenever we're friends with the world, we can know and understand we might just be going in opposition to God. But, and I'm saying that because it says here the thieves came and got him. Because I want you to see the world is not your friend. The world is not your friend, and, and you can't play with the world and not expect to get hurt. The Bible says in Romans chapter 6 that the wages of sin is patty cake. No, no it doesn't, does it? It says the wages of sin is death. See, we play patty cake with sin. We play patty cake with the world, and we don't expect the snake to bite us. But the wages of sin is death. If you're willing to play with sin, it is willing to strike at the core of who you are. It doesn't play. It doesn't pretend. Its desire is to destroy. Just like Jesus told Peter, Satan has desired to sift you as wheat. The desire of Satan today is to sift you as wheat. His desire is to destroy. He walks about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. I always say this, that the, 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 the devil is looking for low-hanging fruit. And if you're not in Jerusalem and you're on the way to Jericho, you're starting to be low-hanging fruit. And if you get too busy in Jericho to start getting right with the Lord, you really are low-hanging fruit. And the enemy's going to come. The thief is going to come. And he's not going to make you better. The thief is going to come, and he's going to leave you for dead. Notice what happens. It says that the, 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 the thieves came and stripped him of his raiment, wounded him, and departed, leaving him as dead. The world will eat you up and spit you out. Well, it's just a little bit of fun. Yeah, it's a little bit of fun, but it wants to destroy your innocency. It, it wants to destroy your, your walk with God. It wants to destroy a right mind within you. It wants to destroy your emotions. It wants to destroy your body. It wants to destroy everything about you. And the enemy will not settle until you are completely just a mess. A mess. And what's amazing is some, we get so enticed by it and we get so hurt by it. So hurt. We say, I'm never going to do that again. And we go right back to it. I'm never going to let anybody else hurt me. And then we let them hurt us again. And, and, and it's a vicious cycle that we get in until we turn to the Lord. The cycle will never be broken until we turn to Jesus. The, the thing about insanity is if you do the same thing over and over and over and expect a different result. Two more drinks ain't going to make your emotions better. Switching from, you know, whiskey to beer is not going to make anything better. You're still going to be a horrible person when you're drunk and make horrible decisions. Wine is a mocker. It'll make a mockery of our lives. But, but notice it is that when, when the thieves were done, they had their fun with this guy. 
and, and, and the world would love to have fun with you and just destroy your life. And these thieves had fun with this guy. They ran roughshod over him, took everything this guy had, took everything he had, took his dignity, took his body, took his clothes, took everything he had, and left him naked, busted, and embarrassed. And for dead. This is the exact same thing sin does to you and to me. The desire of Satan was to forever separate you from God. And whenever we begin to play patty cake with sin, we have to understand that's not how that verse reads. The wages of sin is not patty cake. It's death. Romans 6.23 is the verse. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. See, God has a different plan. God wants to restore you. God wants to redeem you. God wants to remake you and rebuild you. And God wants to renew you. But we have to be willing to go to, to Jerusalem, right? But you know, when you've been left for dead, when you've been busted, when you've been destroyed and the, the world has sifted you and run roughshod over you, you don't feel like doing anything. I believe this guy that, this guy that had just been completely blown up, he just is laying there saying, I'm ready to die. I'm done. You know, I can relate to that so much. I remember in my life when I was so bound up in sin. I was so bound up in sin, I didn't know what I wanted. I was so confused and so hurt, and I was so far away from God. But God had a way of finding me. And God has a way of finding us all. Now let's continue in the story of the Good Samaritan. There's two guys that come, right? There's two guys that come. It says... By chance, there came down a certain priest that way. He saw him. He passed by on the other side. If there's ever a description of religiosity, it's right there. You got a guy hurting. This guy's just gone through the fire. I mean, Satan has sifted him, left him for dead, spit on him, and walked away. And this guy is bleeding, hurting, and religiosity says, whew, I don't want to get involved in that. That, that's too intense. That, I don't want to get my clothes dirty on the way to church. You see, religiosity doesn't want to get dirty on the way to church, but Jesus was willing to be marred beyond comprehension. He was willing to bear our sins. He was willing to bear our trespasses. He was, the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. Religiosity don't want to be touched by that stuff, but Jesus said, bring it on. He drank the cup, and he didn't leave a drop of it. Whatever has come against you, Jesus has consumed. He has exhausted. He has exhausted the strength of the enemy. The power of sin was broken at the cross. Any power that the devil had to separate you from God has forever been reconciled to God through Jesus. He came to this earth on a mission. The mission that he came for, to reconcile you to himself. That's what he came for. Religiosity said, whew, I'm going to pass by on the other side. Can you see it? 
Can you see a guy with the, you know, wearing a tie and all that? He, whoo, don't want to get dirty. You know, and I can't be late either. Because if, if, if I'm late, you know, people are going to wonder where I was. I'm the first one there because they need to know that I'm the most godly person. I can't be the second one there. I'm going to pass them by, right? So just for emphasis, the Lord, it's beautiful how the Holy Spirit writes the Word of God. Just for emphasis, there comes another guy, right? There comes another guy. It says, and likewise, a Levite. Now, Levite, that's a, a lawyer. That's someone who knows the law, the Levitical law. He's a priest. Another one. This is a specialized priest. A Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. This guy, he wasn't really in a hurry. He stopped and he looked at him and went, glad that's not me. Came on this way. That hurts. You know, this kind of is the same story as the, the, the self-righteous Pharisee whenever he was praying. Um, you know, he was praying and he said, Lord, I'm glad I'm not like that guy. I do this and I do that and I do this. Thank you, Lord, that I'm not like that sinner right there. And this guy over here was saying, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. One was self-righteous and one wasn't, but this, this Levite, he came and he even looked on this guy. He looked on him. Whew. That guy's in bad shape. Comes on. Sometimes we need to remember what it's like to be forgotten. Sometimes we need to remember what it's like to be forgotten. We, there is times in our life when it seems like the world has passed us by. It seems like everybody's moving faster than where we are. We might feel stuck where we're at. We need to remember there's times in our life where it seemed like the world and people of God even forgot about us. But I want you to know there's coming somebody who does not forget about you. You're on somebody's mind, and the somebody's name is Jesus Christ. You're never out of his mind. You're never off his heart. He's never going to forget you. He's never going to forsake you. He's never going to turn around and forget you. He will not leave you. And he won't fail you. And hallelujah for this guy that's broke, busted, and disgusted all down in his sin where the world has left him for dead, that there was somebody whose mind was on him. But religi re religiosity will forget folks. Religiosity will forget folks. It gives up on people. You remember what that's like when people give up on you? When, when they say, they're never going to get it. Forget them. They're never going to get it. I'm done with you. You're never going to change. I'm done with you. Look, we may never change, but don't despise small beginnings. And don't despise what God is doing in somebody's life. Amen? With God, all things are possible. Don't give up on people. God didn't give up on you. And I don't know where you're at today, but I want you to know God has not given up on you. There is not a sin 
There is not an iniquity. There is not a hardship that you've gone through that the blood of Jesus is not enough to redeem you and restore you. The blood of Jesus will purchase you, will cleanse you, and restore you. And his desire is to do it. He loves to do it. He gets glory out of doing it. He does not redeem you and say, oh, great, you again? He says, yes. Do you realize that for all of eternity, we're going to sing glory to the Lamb and hallelujah. We're going to join the heavenly chorus and worship his holy name. You know why we're going to glory? Because he redeemed us. It is his joy to redeem us. The Bible says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. His, the joy that was set before him was you and me. It is a joy to the Lord to bring you back into reconciliation with God and to restore you and to give you the Holy Spirit within you. To redeem you is to restore you. Hallelujah. He does not do this begrudgingly. The Bible says it was joy to him. What a God we serve. What a God we serve. When, when we were in a situation where we couldn't help ourselves, he stepped out of glory into earth, humiliated himself, came and bled and died on the cross to rescue us, and he did it with joy. See, we can't even vacuum the living room with joy. We, we can't even go back and, and pick somebody up again, right? I got to pick you up again? With joy. We can't even do that with joy. And look what he did with joy. Stepped out of glory to the earth to redeem and rescue you. And he did it with joy because he loves you. He loves you. And he wants to redeem you and restore you. See, the thieves have tried to destroy you. The thieves have tried to destroy you. It wasn't God that tried to destroy you. It wasn't, God, it wasn't God that tried to destroy you. It's the world. That's why God hates the world. He's at enmity with the world. Because the world seeks to devour you. But with joy, he bought you. With joy, he bought you. And if you'll receive him, he will reconcile you to himself. Hallelujah. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God that was slain from the foundation of this earth. It was his plan from the beginning. You've been on his heart since you were created. Even before time began, you were on the creator's heart. And it was with joy that he bought you. But he did buy you. So the first two people represent the, re the religious system, religiosity that forgets folks and gives up on folks and passes by on the other side. Religiosity is too busy and too clean to minister like Jesus did. Sometimes you get around some religious folks. They're too busy and they're too clean to minister the way Jesus did. But Jesus will take time. He'll take time with you. He'll take time with you. 
So let's look at the next guy. It says in verse 33, a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. A couple of things to start out with here. Number one, that one of the best Bible studies you can do is you can, you know, get you a little concordance or something and look up the word compassion in Jesus over and over and over throughout the New Testament, throughout the Gospels, the Bible says he was moved with compassion. What moved Jesus was a motivation to love people. He was touched when we were hurt. He was, he, he's touched whenever we're wounded. It is the, one of the most beautiful things in the Bible that God is compassionate toward us. And the Bible says here the Samaritan was compassionate. And, you know, the Samaritans with the Jews, they were despised. They were from the outside. You know what's interesting about the Lord Jesus is if you remember one of the disciples, when they said, hey, this is Jesus, you know, we think he's the Messiah. And the guy says, can any good thing come from Nazareth? He was looked at as an outsider because he was a Galilean and he was a Nazarene. He was from Nazareth. They looked at him like a dog. None good can come from Nazareth. What you talking about? This is Messiah. In the same way, people look at the Samaritans the same way. They were low-down dogs. He was an outsider. But it's the outsider that stops. It's the outsider that stops. You know, the whole world will pass you by. The whole world will pass you by. But Jesus will stop. And he'll look upon you. And he'll act. He'll act. Look what happens. It says that he, he, he came where he was when he saw him. He had compassion on him. There's nothing that you've done that Jesus hasn't seen. So you might as well confess it. Confession simply means agreeing with God. That's all it means. You want to get theologically deep? You can. But all confession means is saying, yes, you're right. It's agreeing with the word of God. Coming in line with the logos. So understand that the Lord saw him there's there's nowhere you've gone there's no sin you've committed that he didn't see and even when we're at our lowest place he still sees us he still sees us he doesn't do this he looks at us this is a great example of how Jesus he came here to be, in, in, the, they call it the first advent, his humiliation. It means he's willing to, to don flesh. He's willing to come and, and bear our iniquities. He's willing to see our pain. One of the most beautiful scriptures in the Bible is whenever Jesus was raising Lazarus from the dead, the Bible says he wept when he saw Mary and Martha crying. In one moment, he knew he was about to raise Lazarus from the dead. But at the same moment, his heart was grieved because they were crying. If it was us, we would have said, stop crying. Just watch. Watch this. Right? Stop crying. Stop all that. But he knew he was about to raise Lazarus from the dead, but he still cried. Why? Because his eye was on him. He saw him. He saw their pain. He saw their hurt. And he wasn't willing to look over it. He wasn't willing to just forget about it. He wasn't willing to say, they'll get over it. 
just give them a minute, right? Because they're about to get really happy. He, he was touched with them because his eye was on them. His eye was on them and his eyes on you. And when you're grieved, he's grieved. When you hurt, he hurts. He's touched with the feeling of our infirmities. If you feel far away, he's hurting. If you feel forgotten, he's hurting. When you cry, he cry. Shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Knowing he's about to raise this guy from the dead, he was touched by the pain he saw in the sisters. So it says, when he saw him, he had compassion on him. Verse 34, he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine. Set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. What did he do? Bound up his wounds. Only God can fix us. It's not, an, it's not that we need a new job or we need a new spouse or we need this or we need that. It's not that we need all that. We need Jesus. Until we get that right, nothing else will work. Until we get into a place where we are in restoration in the hands of God, it doesn't matter how well oiled the rest of the machine is on earth. We'll always be limping until Jesus fixes the limp. He was wounded, and, this, and, and the Samaritan comes, and he, he, he begins this process of healing, and it says he poured in the oil and the wine. This represents the Holy Spirit all throughout the Bible is represented by the oil of God. The Holy Spirit is always representing by the oil of God, and the wine represents the blood. Jesus said this cup is the New Testament, right? In my blood, right? In my blood. It is the blood and the, and the Holy Spirit that will redeem and restore you. Open your hearts and allow God to pour in the blood and the oil of the Holy Ghost and watch restoration take place. God will take you from a place of depression and destruction and darkness and he will bring you to a peace of mind and he will restore you and renew you. You, you will have innocency. You will have a newness of life. When the blood and the Holy Spirit has been applied to the soul, you will find, you will find the healer. The healer. He's a healer today. Not only of broken bones, but of broken hearts and broken dreams. There's things that have gone on in our lives that, you know, you can fix a broken arm in six weeks, but a broken heart, things just don't fix. You can buy flowers, you can buy cards, you can go get a new car, you can go buy you a new house, you can go find you a new spouse. I didn't mean to make that rhyme, but you, 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 can, you can go do that, but it still won't fix what's going on inside you. A broken soul is the, is, is the, the only thing that can fix a broken soul is the Spirit of God. He searches our hearts, He searches our souls, and He is the restorer of our souls. So he says he poured in the oil and the wine and he set him on his own beast and brought him to an end. This is an interesting correlation here. Um, I hope that you see this. Jesus saves him. Jesus heals him. 
Then Jesus takes him to the church. See, the church is supposed to be the hospital for the broken. This guy needed some time to heal, to get on his legs, to get, to get the word of God, to get some more of that oil and some more of that wine applied just to get his feet under him and get that strength built back. The church is supposed to be that hospital to help this guy recuperate and be rejuvenated by the power of God. And Jesus knew where to take him. Jesus said, I'm taking you to the end. And, and, and he takes him to the church, to the house of God. And he says, I'm going to bring this broken. The, the world done left this one. I found another one. And the world done left this one broke, busted, and disgusted. And I'm going to bring him to you, right? And Jesus said, here, here, take care of him. Take care of him. What in the world is the church doing if we're not taking care of the broken ones? What in the world are we doing if we're, not, if we're selling coffee but we're not moved with compassion? What in the world are we doing if we have ATMs in our lobby but we're not open arms to the broken and the, and the, the downtrodden? We'll let anybody come in if they're going to bring an offering. But we're supposed to be open to the broken. Church is supposed to be the hospital to help people find their strength and to know who Christ is and to grow in their love for God and to grow in the gifting of the Spirit and the calling of God on their life and to know who they are. Look, the devil is lying to you for long enough. It's time to get to know the truth. The truth will make you free in Jesus' name. The church is supposed to be that beacon of truth to proclaim the truth boldly and proudly because that's what's going to make you free. People are attracted. People are attracted to silly attractions. But it is the blood of Jesus and the Holy Spirit, the truth of God, and that alone is what will make you free. God will not be mocked. The church wants to make a carnival, but what the world needs is the truth. That's the only thing that's going to bring freedom to our lives. I know it wasn't a circus with a clown and a roller coaster that set me free from my life of sin and from being an alcoholic and everything else that I was. Hallelujah, I'm not anymore. I've been made new in Jesus' name. We are not who we once were. The Bible says old things are passed away. Behold, all things are made new in Jesus Christ. There's new life for you. God has a new life for you. If you say yes, allow the Samaritan to pour in the oil and the wine. He has a new life for you. He has a new life for you. And then you got to allow him to take you to the end, right? It wouldn't have done this guy any good to say, I'm all right. I don't need to go to the end. I'll go to the end in my house. He went to the end. He allowed the Samaritan to take him to the end. And notice what he says here in the, at the end of this passage. He says, in verse 35, he gave him to the host, and he said unto him, Take care of him. Whatsoever thou spendest, when I come again, I'll repay thee. Take care of him. That's the charge of the church to the, to the lost. 
Take care of them. Give them the gospel. Give them the truth. Pour in the oil. Pour in the wine. Stop playing games. It's life and death. It's eternity and it is, it is damnation. It is the oil and the wine that we need. And Jesus, he, he says here, when he comes again, whatever you spend on these people, I'm going to repay you. You can parallel that with some of the judgments of God when he gives talents. And some had, you know, one and five, and, and they would multiply them. Whatever you spend, I'm going to repay you. I'm going to honor you. But notice it was Jesus that gave it first. And any gifting that you have to the church, Jesus has given it to you. So notice what he said. He said, um, <clears throat> Jesus' response to this guy, he said, which of these three, thinkest thou, was the neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And he said, he that showed mercy on him. And Jesus said, go and do thou likewise. This guy correctly said the Samaritan had mercy. Do you know mercy is what we need? Mercy is what we need. We don't need lessons. We don't need attaboys. We don't need fog lights. We don't need laser shows. We don't need carnivals. We need mercy. And mercy is at the cross. Mercy was Jesus coming to this earth bearing our sins, shedding his blood on Calvary's hill that he might redeem us and purchase us. Mercy is Jesus. We need mercy. We need mercy every day of our lives. His mercies are new every morning. Hallelujah. He has new mercies for us today. I don't want to be where I was yesterday. I want to have more of his mercy today. I want to be more acquainted with him today. I want more of the oil and more of the wine today than I had yesterday. There was times in my life I was going to Jericho. There's other times I was headed to Jerusalem, but there's other times. I, you know what? I just, I need mercy. There's times that you don't even know how to say what you need. You can't even articulate it in English. You need the Holy Spirit. And you know the Holy Spirit knows the groans and the utterances that are birthed in the soul of a believer. And when you begin to moan and you begin to groan and you begin to call on the name of Jesus Christ, know and understand He is merciful. He knows He's compassionate and His desire is to redeem and restore. Let me show you another passage just so... We can go to uh, Hebrews chapter number four. Hebrews chapter number four. We're going to close right here in verse number 16. You see, the, the, the mercy of God is embodied by the, the wine of the, of, of the blood of Jesus and the oil of the Holy Spirit and everything outside of that mercy, everything outside of that mercy is psychobabble. It's just games. 
Everything else is just, we're, we're lying to ourselves. There's no peace outside of God. There's no joy outside of the Lord. The devil is a liar. Oh, that pastor, he don't know what he's talking about. Listen, the devil's a liar. He's been a liar from the beginning. His desire is to destroy you. You let him lie, he's going to destroy you. But God is compassionate. He'll send the Samaritan to you. Now listen, mercy is what we need, right? Mercy is what we need. Mercy is found at the feet of Jesus. Do you need mercy today? Do you need mercy in your life? Do you need mercy in your life? Because I do. Look at verse 16. It says, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You need help today? Do you need help? Because God's mercy is available for you. The oil and the wine is flowing. The Lord is compassionate. And he's not willing that any perish along the way. Religion may have forgotten about you, but you have been on the mind of Jesus. And he's not going to pass you by. He's not going to forget about you. He wants to pour into you what will heal you. So come boldly to the throne of grace. Obtain mercy today. Obtain mercy today. Obtain mercy, and you will find help in your time of need. <laughs>